Substance J. This is your third time. Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah I think so. And I also was on the episode about alternative driving games, which uh, which is sort of the video game equivalent of gay disco, uh, which we couldn't. Uh, it's no longer available online, but it's somewhere in my archives. I'll put it up eventually. And, Three people are extremely disappointed about that. Uh, it was good too. Uh, it was good. Someday, someday. And uh, Matthew Kumar who we've never had on before. Hello. And uh, let's see. Don't you write? Yeah, you do, professionally. You, yeah. Yeah, I'm a writer. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the last thing I read from you was the thing where uh, you went to, I don't know if it was a defense contractor or what, that they showed you their flight sim or something. Oh, that's that's a long time ago. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I've never written off a lot of stuff since then. Yeah, um, I bet, I bet way too much to recount, but mostly for uh, Gamma Sutra, a few other websites, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, the good ones. And uh, you're both on insert credit. That's true. Indeed, I, I try to abuse that uh, website and lower its uh, standing in the community as much as possible. Yeah. Well, at least you don't only post about giant robot games. Yeah, but isn't that that guy's point? Isn't that why yeah, he's that, on that's it? Yeah, that's his point of existence. That's true. Well, no, I mean, isn't that his point of being on insert credit? No, I'm pretty sure that's his point to exist completely. But uh, oh, well, same. Th- <laughs> that works. Living the dream, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I once worked for a company where we went to a uh, a meeting, a corporate meeting, where all the MBAs get together and try to pump you up about how, how well the company is doing. And by the way, it's not. And uh, they came up with this motto. And the motto was living the dream. And how much more ridiculous can you be, you know? And a friend of mine who I worked with actually went to a sports shop and had a baseball cap made up with, like, the logo of the company on it. And it said living the dream above it and everything. It was, like, the most sarcastic fucking thing in the world. Is that going to be the title of this episode, Maybe. Living the Dream? Is oh, that well, what we're doing perfect. right now? That might be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but you know when you're hanging out, you know when you're in a meeting with those kind of people, they're so above, like they're beyond sarcasm or anything. They they that doesn't even register on their brain, so they kind of couldn't even tell that it was like you know a complete prick move. It's pretty awesome. Okay, so uh, normally on our regular episodes, uh, we start out with this uh, dialogue, which is now a trialogue or whatever, about uh, what have you been playing lately. So my question is going to be, uh, what have you been playing in the last 10 years on the Dreamcast? Because right now as we record this, we are between the 10th year anniversary of the Japanese launch in November and the 9th year anniversary of the American launch, which was uh, 9-9, September, September 9th. 
Uh, yeah, we're ever so slightly close to the European launch, which was uh, in October of Oh, yeah. Wow, that's just about perfect. I wonder what day this will come out. Before the 27th of November. Isn't it the 27th of November that was the Japanese launch? Yes. Yeah, because when you turn the Dreamcast on, that's what it says. <laughs> they, uh, I, I actually didn't... Uh, I don't really identify with... I identify with sort of the American launch and the Japanese launch because I didn't buy the machine at either one of those times. Unlike substance j who bought it at both of those times but yeah that uh, was the first not only was it the first uh, <laughs> console ever imported but then turned around and bought the domestic one just the same well i remember you know the dreamcast wasn't that expensive i mean it was pretty cheap yeah and so when it came out when the american one came out and it was 150 bucks less you're like man i might as well pick up one of those you know you're used to 80 dollar games what was it 250 Something like that, but you know, it's funny that uh, even before the death of the system, which we won't talk about, <clears throat> um, the Dreamcast, like people seemed to own like ten of them, and that was yeah. like you know they weren't even like on clearance at that point. No, they were they they weren't even on clearance. They were officially marked down to fifty dollars. By the well, time. even before that, oh, I had okay. four of them. I'm really not sure how that happened, but I'm not <laughs> the only one in that situation. What I find amazing is I have uh, I have a U.S. launch one that I bought from a guy like two months after it came out, and it hasn't broken yet. And that's kind of uncommon, I think, because for a Sega machine, the Dreamcast is kind of a jalopy. It doesn't seem to be as tankish as uh, as the old ones, old older systems. Mm-hmm. So uh, Matthew, currently you're in Canada. But during the Dreamcast launch, you were in the UK. Yeah, I was so, in the UK. Um, actually, I didn't find buy mine at, um, at launch either. It's it's kind of, of funny in retrospect because when I bought mine, it was I think it was I think it was Christmas, and the not the main reason, but one of the reasons I bought it was because it came with a DVD player. So it's kind of funny to think that it's that long ago that uh, a DVD player was. Uh, Oh yeah, they they threw an entirely different. What was it? Was that individual shops or? I was. It was actually Toys R Us where I got mine. It oh okay. Was, uh, a bundle with a Dreamcast, uh, a few games, and uh, a, a massive DVD player. It's like the size of a <laughs> of a table these days. Uh, but it was exciting for me at the time. <laughs> That's funny because you know, like everyone at the time, DVD was borderline affordable technology as far as packing it into unrelated machines. And so there was a big deal over whether or not the Dreamcast played DVDs or not, or whether or not it would have an add-on or whatever. And uh, so I guess that sort of rendered the argument irrelevant. Just give you an entire DVD player. Yeah, I I guess that's probably the same, that by the the first Christmas it had already reached the point where they were kind of desperate to get rid of it. Oh, uh, the first Christmas? Yeah. Oh, that's like two months after it came out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so, what was selling instead? PS One. I have no idea. Actually, oh, I can't. Even, okay. I can't. It's so long. I, actually, I'm looking back now. It's surprising to think how long ago it was. And it's it's know. kind of disturbing, in fact. Yeah, chronologically, and also the fact that like the games industry has changed actually quite a bit since then because of the fact that it like that you had all of these 
Sega, first-party Sega games, more so on the Japanese market. But these games, they were like, they were first-party games. They had polish and everything, but they were simple and more stripped down, and they came out at a at a more rapid rate. It wasn't like, oh, let's wait three years for the next Metal Gear, and in the meantime, I will play Palo over and over and over again until something new comes out. I mean, you'd have like, I mean, it was fairly common to go to the store and a new Sega game would come out. Um, especially the driving games and the shooters. <laughs> Tons of those suckers. There uh, was a pretty steady uh, stream of software through the whole system's life. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, you I mean, could just go in the store and just pick up, you know, a couple of titles at a time, really. Yeah, it, there was always something. And and that's what's and even, that's why what's so amazing about it now is now that it's gone, and it only had like about two solid years of of really hard support, and yet I still find shit like what the hell is Dream Studio? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the amazing thing. It's only about two years of actual support, and yet there are so many games, and particularly in Japan, so many genres that you, that you can't even imagine them coming out with now. Even I mean, just think about Sega's own. Uh, output. There's everything from like Room Mania to God knows what. We had like Rent a Hero, and uh, what was that um, idle singer raising game that wasn't quite as perverted as your average thing from kid? What the hell was that called? It wasn't. It wasn't Dream Studio. It was something else that had Dream in the name, I think. And it was producer. Was that it? I don't remember. Uh, super producer. Super producer. Yeah. I think that was Hudson. But oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But either way, you end up with like uh, more, almost so many first-party uh, regular releases that not even Sega of America really felt like putting them out, and all they had to do is localize it. Um, and that's what's impressive because like the PlayStation Two didn't get its first really good game until it had already been out for about a year, and and that was about the time that the Dreamcast died, and so really. It was a pretty smooth transition, I suppose, if you wanted to go from one to the next. Because, oh, they're finally making good PS2 games. I guess I'm not too bummed. It's, for some uh, reason, the, the launch titles for the Dreamcast, uh, even then, I sort of had to fool myself into enjoying them. But they were enjoyable bad games uh, nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, well, I was there just was, playing oh, Super Magnetic Neo today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a U.S. launch title, I think. Yeah, are you talking about the Japanese launch? Because I think the Japanese launch titles are fairly... To my yeah, they weren't that great, uh, but the U.S. launch was fantastic, and that was only nine months later, so it really shows how much they did have in a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. Japanese launch, you had 7th Cross, right? Crap. There was the Godzilla game as well. Oh, yeah, there's always one of those. Uh, Virtual Fighter? Or was that like a week later? When did Virtual Fighter come out? I think it was, it was close. Incoming, that was... Uh... Well, that one's terrible. Pain, Pain, Triathlon, right? Yeah, uh, I have that. Oh, yes. I yes, like that, that one. Now, that's a classic. I like that one. See, it's strange because the Dreamcast, for me, uh, never really liked 3D games. But the Dreamcast was the first game that had 3D that didn't look awful. Like, um, okay, you know when you're playing a Famicom game, okay, and it's Donkey Kong, and it looks pretty much like Donkey Kong Arcade. It's a reasonable facsimile. It's great. But then you go to play Final, uh, Mighty Final Fight, which is like one of the most technically impressive Famicom games. And you go to play that one, and like, yeah, there's more stuff going on, and it's really impressive and everything, but it kind of looks like it's falling apart all the time because there's so much flicker, 
and it slows down and all that other shit. And it hasn't like no confidence to it, you know, whereas the Dreamcast sort of did polygons with confidence. It was the first machine to do like smooth polygons. And even though they weren't complex, they were, they weren't breaking up. They didn't have those holes in it. You know, like all the texture maps on Sony systems have big gaps in them because the location of the maps is not accurate in order to save mm. processor time. So when you're driving down the road in a Ridge Racer, there's always like cracks in the cliffs, you know? Like, you never got that from Dreamcast. And it had enough uh, video memory to put really good textures in there. Uh, so I was playing Shenmue today, and I noticed that, like, they blew all their resources on the faces. Because, <laughs> like, when, like, when Rose walking down the road, you know, like, his jacket looks a little pixely. But when they, when he turns to look at you, it's like his face is fucking flawless. <laughs> they have, like articulation on his uh orbital region and his eyebrows move up and down and his eyes point and everything and it's like super detailed they knew where to expend the resources i guess i'm still stuck on the fact that you were playing shenmue today today yeah well i kind of went through a few things i hadn't touched in a while including super magnetic neo which frankly just feels european and i don't mean that in a good way it's kind of a uh um Fuck was that ninja with the with the with the Chico pops in it? You know, um the ninja that was on Jag and uh something else. It's a ninja platformer and it had um some sort of branded sucker in it. What are those chalky suckers? Zool, yeah. you're talking about Zool. Yeah. Zool Inchlatic Ninja, yeah. Yeah, that's kinda kinda like what Super Magnetic feels like. Or uh Rayman. Although Rayman's kind of a better example like an amiga game in 3d is what kind of what it feels like um and uh shenmue yeah that and oh sakura wars 3 which holds up extremely well because i don't even know how that game paid for itself the art direction is so incredibly thick really amazing shit i've got to say that uh super magnetic neo i've never played it but it holds a special place in my heart because uh (laughs) It actually led in part to the demise of a independent game store that I know of that uh, got stuck ordering 75 copies of it at 49.99 a piece. Oh, isn't and, part uh, of getting a machine? That's a great machine? piece of history right there. Like they were forced to buy it as a package deal. Yeah. From like was, an American yeah. distributor. Corner Distributors, which is uh, some of you may know of them, is rather infamous uh, New York distributor that uh, used to supply the Rage and uh, kind of competed with NCS. Yeah, I kind of remember uh, that. They strong-armed him into taking 75 copies of Super Magnetic Neo. Oh, man. So that's a rather infamous uh, title to me. They're still sitting on somebody's shelf at $49.99. Oh, it is. I was also playing Stupid Invaders. Have you seen that one? I've never even heard of it. It's like a... uh, it's from, hang on, let me see. It's from Ubisoft. Uh, specifically, it says something I can't read. But anyway, it's the typical uh, point-and-click adventure kind of a thing. And uh, it's kind of funny. It's about these aliens. It starts out, uh, they're living in some basement. And you uh, they've just finished their spacecraft, so they're going to leave the planet. And... One of them is like, I'm going to go get the TV because they'd become addicted to television in the meanwhile. And someone comes in trying to kill them. And so the one guy went to go, they all get frozen. And the one guy, the one guy who goes to get the TV, he's stuck in the bathroom. 
So that's where you begin the game, stuck in the bathroom. And things you can do, uh, you can take a crap, uh, you can flush it, and there are two kinds of toilet paper on the wall. One is um, extra scented and soft for the uh, the one alien who's saying he's going to get a sex change when he gets back to his home planet. And the other one is uh, GI Ass Wipes brand of steel-reinforced um, extra hardcore toilet paper. And you get a plunger. And somehow you're supposed to like get out the window, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. I thought I'd have to like plug the toilet up with my feces and flush it a bunch of times, raise the water up so that I could flow up to the window. But I couldn't figure out how to really get a good volume of water out of it. Can't believe I'd never heard of this one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's like like all point and click games. They drive you freaking crazy because you think like all I have to do is mouse over everything, and the hand will turn into a different thing, and then I'll know what all the options are, and then I'll combine them, and then I'll get out of this room. But it's never really that easy because they always come up with some way to screw you, you know. Like, they force you to try the wrong method of something before you can be allowed to try the correct method for something. Never you know, really. the, the best adventure games in that style, they're not like Myst or Riven or whatever. They're always at the Children's Museum, like Save the Sea Turtles. Oh, yeah. And, you know, because those make sense. They know their audience. Oh, that way, that, but you're prob- probably only supposed to play it for like 30 seconds as opposed to staring at the same freaking puzzle for four hours. Mm-hmm. Before you go to Game Facts, the best one I think I've played is um, the Siberia games. Yeah, that was pretty good. And I never played the second one, although I did buy it, and I bought the first one twice. Because the way the way, the way you know the way it is with Windows games, you you buy one, it's uh, forty dollars new, and then about a year later, it's ten bucks, and then about a year later, the first one and the second one are combined for ten bucks. And then about a year after that, they get on clearance on Target for uh, seven forty-four for both games <laughs> on the end cap. But of course, by then uh, the company's gone out of business and they no longer update their uh, patches, so it won't even run on whatever new version of Windows you have. It's a hard life, I guess. Well, for me, um, I spent really most of my time on the Dreamcast playing just two games. I mean, probably by the numbers, that was like 90% of my time on the Dreamcast was Fantasy Star Online and Fire Pro Wrestling D. And it's kind of interesting in retrospect that uh, whether it was the design of Dreamcast or just the sort of the events of the time, the way games were made, the way systems were made, uh, those games have continued on and they've become more advanced, but really the Dreamcast versions had a bunch of little key factors going for them that made them way, way better that just haven't really been replicated since then. Yeah, I mean, like Free Fantasy Star? Well, yeah, that. I have exactly. um, Fire Pro Wrestling D, for example. I mean, that's a series that's been around forever, and it's like Madden, where, you know, the real fans of Fire Pro... They want the newest Fire Pro because that's the best Fire Pro. It's got all the current stuff in it and all that. But um, the Dreamcast version holds up, or not doesn't necessarily hold up, but it's it's notable in that it was really, really groundbreaking and ahead of its time in that it had DLC. Is that People didn't even realize it when they bought it, but there's a little button on the main menu. You click it, and you hook up to Spike's website, formerly human, and uh, you download new moves, new data for the game. 
And I know there were some games on Dreamcast, like Samba de Amigo, which had like downloadable keys to unlock yeah, songs. Yeah, but they're already all just, it. it all yeah. does is unlock shit. But uh, because of the way FirePro's made, using isometric little pre-built little sprite parts, uh, it, they, the characters animate like polygons in that sense. And so yeah. it's very easy to insert new animations. And so for 52 weeks... Spike had paid downloads every Wednesday. They would release a new move. And they actually had uh, polls and votes on these. You could vote for what you wanted. And they would release it, and uh, it was just incredible. Like, uh, you know, a new killer finishing move would be debuted in a real wrestling match over the weekend. And by Wednesday, it would be available and in the game. Oh, yeah, that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, so that was really the pinnacle of that whole area of uh, fandom and otaku hardcore just nerdiness. Well, did the fans deconstruct the method of making the moves? That was the holy grail of Fire Pro <laughs> Figure out how to there make was, moves. Well, nobody ever got to that point. They got close. There was a lot of hex editing. There was a lot of um, opening up moves and tinkering with them and all kinds of stuff like that because it was so easy having that gateway into the Dreamcast to just hook it up to the Internet, download, hacked files, whatever you wanted. But uh, How big are these files? They're about mm, anywhere from like 5 to 22 blocks of Dreamcast memory. Okay. So at the peak of Fire Pro D fandom, I had like four controllers hooked up with, I believe, yeah. eight VMSs in them. Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking about today. Uh because I was playing Sakura Wars 3, and in that game, like, people like to make a lot of save files for various reasons. You tend to save a lot and fill up entire memory cards. And I was realizing today that, okay, the Dreamcast was the first machine to, first Sega machine to, to require memory cards. But it was still the first machine to actually allow you to put eight memory cards in it at the same time. I, I think isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what kind of an achievement that is. You know, and how much they're probably just thinking like how much are memory cards? Oh, they're like 4000 yen. Oh man, make it so you can put 8 of them in there. <laughs> and make them really small. Uh yeah. That's you know that style of like software controlled 2D animation is very uh that's how they do all the new Super Robot Wars games. Like mm-hmm. they're not the sprites aren't as universal because they're not just blobs of flesh that you can you could get really creative with. They're kind of like you know hard parts, but that's how they do them with like the PS2 ones. Um, and they are incredibly smooth. Like it actually makes you start to wonder, is this a better way? <laughs> is this possibly a better way to do something? Because with you know you have your Street Fighter Three style one huge sprite. Uh, and then you have like your, I think that, that technology, I think first premiered in, um, uh, possibly Gundam wing for super Famicom. I mean, you had multi-jointed sprites in the past, you know, if you've ever played anything from treasure, you know, they always had these multi-jointed tails and things, but they were always made out of this same tile, like repeated. And in, in, but with, uh, for the super Famicom Gundam wing, they made a system where, they would move the arm independently, and it required less memory. Uh, and now they've gone absolutely apeshit with it. But the only thing that I know that does it is still Super Robot Wars and Fire Pro. I can't think of any other game that 
that does things that way. Mm-hmm. And the big question I have uh, as far as this sort of implementing new uh, new content and stuff, and it's up to a real journalist like Matthew or our friend uh, Brandon Sheffield, who always seem to be running into Goichi Suda, who's the producer yeah, of yeah, man. Fire Pro. Yeah. Was this actually a profit-driven concept? Uh, and like, why isn't it back? You'd think this is this is the way games are made now. This is how the Xbox 360 operates. It's all DLC. It's all you know after the fact. Yeah, content. yeah, and even even outside from DLC, like the the concept of shipping broken games and patching them one way or another is now exactly. fairly commonplace. Exactly. Uh, I remember um, my friend bought uh, CVS2 for Xbox. Capcom versus SNK2 for Xbox, and it had a glitch in it where if you finest KO'd somebody in a certain situation, when the music failed, uh, the music would fade out, you know, to add drama, and then come back for the pose. And there was a glitch in it where like the music would fade out and stay faded out. And then one day there was a patch. It, one day it just worked, and because there was a patch that they applied, that if you were connecting to Xbox Live or versus matches, they just fixed it and they never even really told you. Which is kind of convenient, but also kind of spooky and also kind of lame because you think the Dreamcast one's on a CD and it can't be patched and it never had this problem. <laughs> because when they, when they knew that they were committed to that, you know, they finished it. But when they knew they weren't really committed to it and they could fix it later, they're less concerned with it. It's kind of the Microsoft way of doing things with their you know, mm-hmm. office stuff, not with the game stuff necessarily. Yeah, well, I looked at... Uh, I, maybe this is why they didn't keep going with this. Mega Man 9. The the first downloadable thing is Proto Man, right? He costs two bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much did the Fire Pro moves cost? Nothing, right? So... They, actually, they were about a dollar a piece. Oh, okay. I'm thinking, like, perhaps the Fire Pro guys started thinking, like, maybe they have a moral qualm about selling somebody a $50 game and then charging them $150 to get the rest of it. Well, what's funny is that they charged for the moves, uh, but they were not copy protected. You could hook up some, you know, somebody else's VMS and just copy it right over. Oh, they didn't even have the built-in copy restriction? No, yeah. it's quite interesting. I think really what was happening is that at the same time, they were developing Fire Pro uh, Z, Z for the PlayStation 2, Yeah, and I think they were just killing two birds with one stone. But uh, kind of interesting, nonetheless. But uh, Z never really uh, Z never really proved to be that popular, did it? Oh, it was an absolute bomb. Yeah. And what's funny, in fact, is that the same sort of uh, engineering of the moves by hex editing them and things like that, people actually took the data out of the PlayStation 2 game, the move data, and ported it back to the Dreamcast <laughs> in VMS files. <laughs> basically making no reason to own Fire Pro Z. So it's the same, uh, it's a very compatible system, uh, yeah. code, yeah. Yeah. Why was Z not popular? Um, it just didn't run well. I really don't know why, if it was a system limitation, but uh, it was just terrible. Well, they increased the resolution, didn't they? Or was they that... did something to it to ruin it. I don't know what it <laughs> was. But Fire Pro has never run well on Sony systems for some reason. 
and it could be the 2D capabilities have never been stressed enough. I don't know, but uh, it's very odd. Yeah, maybe just their way of doing things just happens to be incompatible. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the PS2 has some killer 2D shit on it. Like, fantastic 2D stuff, but it's sort of done by people who are used to making PlayStation games. And they know the, that way of doing it. Like Ben Presto doing Super Robot Wars or um, Odin Sphere. Who did Odin Sphere? Can't remember. It's a new Atlas? name, new name for an old company, I think. Uh, yeah, Alice published it, I think. But, like, if they're used to making, uh, you know, 9,000 other Gundam games that were all polygonal, then it would be, you know, more in their way of doing things. Definitely, though, you know, if if anything, it's much better than a Madden because Fire Pro improves so much every year. <laughs> Not every time, obviously, but, like, have you played the old Fire Pro games? Ugh. I have Second Bout, and it's shit. <laughs> it's so bad. It's not even, rem- it, it doesn't even compare to the other wrestling games of the day. I mean, like, Muscle Bomber is, l- like, light years ahead of the early Fire Pros. Yeah, it's funny because those PC Engine editions, uh, they're really dry. Like, they don't have the appeal of other games from that time period. No. And no. They, but they don't have any of the depth to back up the dryness. So it's really mm-hmm. almost like it took them until about 1995 on the Super NES or Famicom to yeah, uh, Premium X or whatever. Flesh it out enough, yeah. Well, I think that maybe, you know, the early, like, Fire Pro Second Boat and Third Boat, both, which are, as far as I can tell, exactly the same game, uh, they have, maybe they're just sort of cheap, unlicensed Asian knockoffs. Because they, <laughs> they, they do have, I mean, maybe that's more what they were going for back then. Because they do have more of the... You know, they do have bootleg wrestlers in there, like Hulk Hogan or Bulk Hogan or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, and they have, like, portraits of them, you know, like, in there. And there's more of you can unlock with, like, a code. We still only end up with, like, eight wrestlers or something. It's not very many. The other... I mean, we're... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> what I was going to say was uh, we're saying all this about the Fire Pro Wrestling games, but the the funny thing is we haven't... They haven't been about for about three years now, other than a weird uh, North American port of Fire Pro Wrestling Returns just last year. Yeah. Um, well, that one took so long to come out that I was wondering if there was ever going to be another one. Did you play that, uh, Jake? Oh, no, I, I never got around to it. I'm still bewildered by the concept, but apparently it was popular enough. Oh, I you, mean, yeah. Well, you, you haven't played the North American version, is what you're saying? No, no, no. Um, yeah, I bought it and I got distracted. For some reason, I haven't, uh, gone apeshit into that. Probably because I was, what was I doing? Playing something else. I think I bought it at the same time I got Super Robo Wars W, and that, of course, had to be beat twice. Um, you know, one, uh, I'm, you know, I'm waiting, honestly, for, you know, DS, Fire Pro DS. Like, wouldn't that just be killer? It's baffling that that doesn't exist. Yeah, you can draw shit. This is, I mean, so important. You can draw shit <laughs> on a DS if they just. Or ma- perhaps more importantly, there's enough systems out there to guarantee fifty thousand copies sold. Yeah, they're back to making it for the most popular machine again. That's probably the only system out there today that they could hope to do that on. Yeah, because I mean, even like the fourth tier game on DS sells twenty thousand units. And which will, you know, hopefully pay for a Fire Pro. 
What? Well, to uh, to shift away from the FirePro topic, um, one thing that's amusing about it, though, is uh, it seems like this is always the case with Sega systems. The stuff that becomes popular like five years after the fact, uh, you know, like the release on the PS2 in North America, uh, why wasn't it just released on the, the uh, Dreamcast way back when? Just like why wasn't X-Men vs. Street Fighter released for the Saturn in North America? All these popular properties, they just never really appeared domestically on these Sega systems. Well, I think those are sort of two different things because at the time of X-Men vs. Street Fighter, 2D fighting was not underground yet. It was still, like, basically the number one draw in, arcade game, in arcades except um, 3D Sega and Namco racing games. So, like, in town here, the X-Men vs. Street Fighter was huge. It was, like, the most popular machine. So the fact that they didn't release that was just dumb. And it was just part of, you know, the Bernie Stoller, um, lit, uh, what's the word? Lit, litany? I don't know. Anyway, he sucked and ruined it. And, uh, he kind of wanted on purpose to make it so that there was nothing to buy for a year. So that when the Dreamcast came out, you'd forget about how much you hated your Saturn, which would work except for the fact that most people liked their Saturn and wanted some fucking games. Uh, not a good strategy. Fire Pro, on the other hand, when that by the time that came out here during that year it was last summer wasn't it when yeah. when that uh happened we were well into the era of these budget ps2 games which, which was very similar to the budget ps1 era of uh 2002 or so where these Mobile things light come force off of, and the like yeah. yeah uh rc helicopter um some of that stuff was actually really great rc to go was was pretty good Mm-hmm. Um, and those were usually like $10 and now it's more like $20, but lately we've had a big rush of budget PS2 things right during a time when you'd think normally they would just stop making PS2 things like all those SNK games just sort of burst out in like a year. We had like five of them. And when was the last time SNK released anything? You know, <laughs> they went a long time uh, of nothing. And then they came out with all this other shit. Well, I mean, it's just like what you're saying with the DS earlier, is that the installed user base of the PS2 is now so extremely huge in North America that uh, you can really basically anything and make your money back. Yeah, at 10 bucks though. I mean, this, and 10 is not common. 20 bucks is really common. And I mean, they're really... Uh, I don't know, is it Christmas time that pays for that shit or what? Because that's very... Not a lot of money. Well, I'm pretty sure, like, with something like uh, Fire Pro, I mean, I I've never seen it in stores. They print up enough that they'll know they'll make their money back and then just just leave it at that. I mean, I think there's a lot of space now, particularly in the PS2, for these small publishers, like, who published uh, Fire Pro to, to publish something in a, in a limited enough amount to make a profit and just be done with it. I wonder if they made a profit off Fire Pro. Or uh, Fatal Fury Battle Archives Volume 2. <laughs> Well, I know the licensing fee for Fire Pro was quite small, so they probably did. It should be. You know, I mean, they probably were just thinking like, well, this game's out of print in Japan. It's never going to be a best hits. So uh, someone wants to print it out. Fine, just charge them a buck a unit, you know, (laughs) or 50 cents or whatever. Why not? You know, it's either get the money or don't, you know, take the money. Um, You know, one thing... We've talked before on the show about the revolting trend of uh, maids. 
in uh, usually now it's I suppose plastic figures, uh, maids in anime, maids in games, and uh, it's in you know maid cafes and yeah it makes me want to puke. But um, there's a maid cafe that opened in my town just to let you know. In uh, San Jose, California. San Jose, there's a maid cafe. Is there was like, one in Toronto, but it shut down. Is it Japan style or is it something else? It's in Japantown. Oh, it's Japan style then, okay. <laughs> they claim to have actual Asians there. Actual Asians? Where do they come from? Uh, one thing I was thinking about, I was playing Sakura Wars today. This game has, this has to do with maids. Um, there are maids in it, of course. But um, there are, there's a nun in it that's very klutzy. And klutzy is very common very popular with the same people like maids. I'm sure there's some word for it. Just like there's a word for chick with green hair and glasses. Um, there's one of those in that game too. But this klutzy nun, I was thinking like, man, this is a gold mine. Why has the klutzy nun not been a new a new thing? I think Sega was ahead of its time. I predict next year klutzy nuns will overrun maids in popularity. And we'll have these grotesque, lowly, klutzy nun uh, PVC pre-painted figures. And we'll have a klutzy nun raising sim for for DS where you can touch them and they'll laugh. Hopefully I, they release a hentai shooter as a <laughs> DC Direct game. So, so, no, there's no more DC Direct. Sadly, but yeah, one can yeah, hope. Yeah, they went down. Uh, it wasn't that long ago either. I don't even think it was a it year was ago. It was quite recent, I think. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they were... Well, it was Sega Direct by then, and I don't know what they were selling. I can't even remember. LEs of PS2 games. Uh, yeah, so that's a that's a, I maybe you know if I could somehow invest in a company, a venture company that you know is like GoofyNunCraze.com or something, I I would do that. I think that's a good. That's my recommendation. Bullish on klutzy nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have you been playing, Matthew? You haven't said much. Oh, um, well, the weird thing about the Dreamcast for me probably is that, um, much like uh, Substance J over there, I uh, probably only played about two games the most, and one was definitely Fantasy Star Online, and the other one was, was, oddly enough, Shenmue. And I probably played Shenmue the most because, for some reason, I play about every Christmas, just because... Mm-hmm, yeah, because it snows in the snows, game. Christmas, weird Japanese Christmas time happens during it. Um, it's really easy just to play a few days of it and feel like you've done something. And you've, all you've done is, you know, learn about that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, pretty much those are the two games I've played the most easily. But, I mean, at the time I was, I had bought, I mean, I wouldn't say hundreds, but tens and tens of Dreamcast games, mostly imports, which I just put on a massive pile next to my Dreamcast and sort of a two playlist. I've probably played about two hours of each and uh, then uh, forgot about it completely. Like the Chikura Taizen games, I own every single one of those for Dreamcast and I've probably <laughs> played them because the, the language barrier is so high even with, because uh, I really don't like playing with um, translations printed out or anything next to me, so so actually they're brutally difficult to play so I gave up on them after a while, but I'm happy to have them. Well, you know, you don't, see the thing is like, it's weird with those Sakura Tyson games. There are the games in two halves. You have the strategy game that's, I wish, was ten times harder because it's so easy 
that there's no challenge to it at all. And then you have the uh, the scenario lips system or whatever, okay? It's like the other half of the game. And like the Japanese fans are so crazy about the game. They're like, I don't even care if it has battles in it. I want the lips. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care about the lips. I want the battles. Uh, but I've noticed with the scenarios, it's like you can't really fuck. You can't really fuck anything up. And even if you even if you know exactly what you're doing, you're really not going to get anything done any faster because like most stuff holds your hand and sort of makes you go through it in a specific order. So like you won't even have like a good ending or a bad ending because there aren't good endings and bad endings. There are just, you get the ending where all the endings are divided up into which Hanagumi likes you more. So if you get the end and it's Erica, you're like, oh, it's Erica, the goofy, the, the klutzy nun. You know, if you, you know, really into it and you're like, you specifically want a specific ending, then, you know, you have to cheat or whatever. But if you know a little bit of Japanese, it's not that hard even to get through the lips things, except for the time factor. Because they'll be like, you meet somebody for the first time, and there's two things you can say. Uh, what are your measurements? And hi, I am Ogami. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, you say hi, I am Ogami, and they'll like you. And, you know, that, and it's pretty easy. If you can read a little bit of stuff, you'll bumble through it. I think there yeah, might... I mean, I was able to, I was able to bumble through them. I was just like, the, the time pressure is really good because I was really genuinely trying to read it, which yeah. is, uh, considering how slow my Japanese is, isn't maybe the, the best idea. But I actually, I mean, they're, they're good, you know. They're, they're probably one of the, the number one uh, titles of such insane popularity in Japan. I'm always confused as to why Sega never thought to at least give it a shot in there, bringing it across. Especially during the Dreamcast era. Yeah. That would have been the time to do it, and they didn't. Um, must have decided they needed to pump another $100 million into advertising, I guess, instead. But, well, with the third one, see, with the, with the first game, you just had, like, the dialogues, but by the time it came to the third one, there'd be these things like, there's something you're supposed to say, and you move the joystick to decide how loud you're going to say it. And sometimes it's something like, hey, watch out, there's a rock falling off the cliff and it's going to hit you ahead and kill you. And sometimes it's something really rude that you're not supposed to say at all, so you say it really quietly. <laughs> That's the hard part. Like, how loud do I say that? What is that? I have two seconds to decide. Uh, and it's not like Mother where everything's in Hiragana. It's kind of complicated sometimes. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, in my notes. Oh. The machine. Let's talk about the machine and how different it is. Um, it's very small, especially compared to like PS3, you know, or even the Saturn. Like it's very small compared to the Saturn, and it's very heavy and thick and and solid feeling. And I remember um, the the Dreamcast was very much a 2D fighters heaven. I mean, it was fucking awesome for 2D fighters. And everyone I knew when we'd go to tournaments, arcades, or houses or whatever. We'd bring this thing along, and you'd end up with, like, six of them. You know, whereas if it was a PS3, everyone's like, man, that thing costs 500 bucks, I'm not moving it. Or, uh, you know, it's too big, or whatever. This was something you could take around fairly reasonably easy, and it probably wasn't going to break down on you uh, because you moved it. And I knew people who had homemade joysticks that were so big, the Dreamcast would fit inside of it. So if you, I was gonna say, what are these people playing fighting games with? Because the DC pad has like such a long throw. It sucks. It's horrible. Unusable. Unusable. Can't. Yeah, but the strange thing is that I actually love the 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 official Dreamcast fighting stick. That is strange. 
Oh, probably, the stick. Oh, the stick's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the, the fighting stick is uh, is probably my favorite stick. Even the one, like, um, yeah, I like for example, I can't really gel with the the Xbox, the Hori Xbox stick because I uh, just got mm-hmm. so used to my Dreamcast stick that it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't feel exactly the same. I'm still not quite happy with it. Well, the, yeah, exactly. The uh, Dreamcast arcade stick was uh, by ASCII, who at the time and probably still is owned by the same parent company that owns Sega. And so it sort of became like, it just says Sega, I think, in the US, in the U.S., but I think it says ASCII on the Japanese version. I'm not sure. Uh, that's really good. And they made two sticks for the Saturn, one which great, one sucked. They, they There was the Virtua Stick, and then there was a Virtua Stick Pro. And the Virtua Stick was junk. It was like one of the last sticks you could buy that actually had rubber flat press buttons underneath the platform, underneath the stick. So it didn't even have micro switches in it. It was just a big spongy thing. I mean, it, compared to the Saturn pad, it was junk. You know, you weren't going to get anything done with that. And then they made, oh, wait, I'm confused. That's the Sega one. This the the vir, That's the Sega Virtua stick, but then there's an ASCII stick, which does have micro switches in them, but they have no spring in them. So the stick just kind of flops in one direction and stays there. And it's like a very aggressively designed, so it looks really neat, but it's like not good for using. And then there's the Virtua Stick Pro, which was Sega and ASCII, because ASCII made Sega's arcade parts. And that one looks like it's literally a, a, a Virtua Fighter arcade machine cut in half and handed to you. It has the same cheesy colors, like pink and green and <laughs> all those fucked up colors that are on Astro City cabinets and stuff. And then uh, they make a two-player version and a one-player version. Uh, never made anything quite that fantastic for... Uh, Dreamcast, but that 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 original Dreamcast stick is is really really good. And I knew a lot of people that hacked it to work with newer machines because they didn't want to buy anything new. I like it more than the Hori Real Arcade Pro Three. Yeah, it's, it's still my favorite for some reason, which is funny because the the actual control pad is so horrible in every single way. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, okay, what sucks about the original control pad? The D pad is not symmetrical. And it's sharp. It it's sharp, and like and it's crazy. like a non-symmetrical D-pad should always be a bad idea. This, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The uh, it no longer has six buttons down. The angle that you're supposed to hold it at sort of requires you to like tilt your wrists in a specific way, where like you can't hold it the way they obviously designed you to hold it. You have to hold it more like a nest pad up on the top if you're going to be using the buttons a lot, and it that sort of makes it like there's a lot of good driving games on Dreamcast, but um, the controller sucks so bad that you're going to be looking for alternatives because um, it your hands will just kill you after you use it's worse than Mario Kart on DS, which makes your thumb hurt from holding the throttle on for five hours straight because there's no reason to ever take your thumb off the throttle in Mario Kart. Uh, and in uh, and on the Dreamcast pad, it's the same way. I played Sega GT for like 100 hours, and I developed like problems with my wrists that I think uh, still are with me and make it so that I have to hold my mouse in a different way every five minutes and make sure that I do that or I'll have like this pain in my wrist for a couple of days. It's bullshit. And they already had the perfect pad. They already had the, the night pad, the... Uh, also known as analog pad, also known as 3D pad for some reason. By Sega That's America. true. That was good. That was but, basic. Uh, it was great. Have you, have you made it 24 hours with the pad in uh, Le Mans? 
No, I wasn't using a pad. I was using a wheel. <laughs> I have a, a, a Thrustmaster Ferrari. And I my Le Mans thing, what happened with that was I played it for about seven hours. And I had, for some reason or another, I had to move. I had a dedicated Dreamcast setup, which was this really sturdy table with a 20-inch Mitsubishi Diamond Tron monitor special speakers and everything and I had figured out ways to trick almost everything to run in VGA so I very seldom had to move the Dreamcast to a TV and then it is on that setup that I beat all four Sakura Wars games three or four times a piece I beat Shenmue 1 and 2 I maxed out Res uh, Skies of Arcadia um, all that stuff and for some reason or another I had to I wanted to do something else with the table and I never put it back together and I never finished my Lamont thing Shame, shame, shame. Yeah, well, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for me to clear off another table and get back on that because that game is fantastic. I mean, it, it's crude and everything, but it's from uh, Infogrames, whatever that is. And uh, it actually lets you play. I mean, there there have been other games named after 24-hour races that didn't give you 24-hour mode. How That's not very hardcore. <laughs> the first one, I think, for the ridiculous endurance mode was there was a Suzuka... Eight hours motorcycle racing game. I don't even remember what machine it was on. Something 16-bit. That actually had an eight-hour mode in it, but I don't know if it's saved. Whereas the Dreamcast one saves, so you can complete it, I would do like an hour at a time. And what happens in there is you start to get a simulation of an experience that isn't just isn't going to happen unless you're playing a game for a ridiculous amount of time. Because these 24-hour endurance events are so strategy-based. It isn't about like, oh, I'm going to pass that guy. It's like, I'm going to set up a strategy that allows me to pass that guy at about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and now it's 10. So four hours from now, I'm going to pass that guy. Like it's, it, and then you also get like this sort of uh, road numbness you get from driving the game for so long because uh, Le Mans is such a long freaking track. And it has these really, really high-speed sections. They're not as fast as they used to be, but they're still 220-mile-an-hour passes on a, on a, on a high-end car, a Toyota GT1 or whatever, um, that you almost... It's sort of like a process. It's not about, like, reflexes and overtaking. It's about, like, a process that you get into, a mindset of... You go down these straightaways, and they're so fast that the wind noise overcomes the noise of the engine. And you can look in your rear window and see vapor trails coming off your rear wing. And the the car sort of starts to vibrate a little bit differently. And uh, basically this is why Gran Turismo sucks. Because they can't, they don't see these sorts of touches that you need to go into these things. And they eventually sold this game on uh, PS2. I think the Dreamcast one says Test Drive Le Mans, right? And then the, the uh, PS2 one doesn't say Test Drive on it. And the load times became crazy. The graphics weren't any better at all. And uh, I just really was totally disappointed with it. It was like the same game. People would sell their machine to buy the same game again, and it's worse. Like, Well, I picked up uh, Le Mans for a dollar. Yeah. I have yet to open it. But yeah. uh, I'm either going to play that or I'm going to hold out for a pirate copy of uh, Penn & Teller's Desert Bus. I have a pirate copy of that. Oh, very yeah, good. It's two CDs, uh, uh, Bus to Reno, Des- Desert Bus to Reno. 
You know, there are tournaments for that game. <laughs> oh, I, I don't doubt it. I, and then, like, the high score is eight. <laughs> because it takes uh, 64 hours to get a score of eight. <laughs> it's uh, it's fairly amazing. Uh, where are you going to set aside 64 hours? You need, like, a team. That would be a good idea to do. If You know, honestly, I'd kind of like it if they would make another 24-hour endurance game. And you could base it all on Le Mans if you wanted to. But, I mean, like, it'd be cool if it was based on a series, like the American Le Mans series, where you have 24 hours of, um, you know, you have these Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans. Uh, they all have these 24-hour events or 8-hour events. They, I believe 8 hours might be the shortest. I thought they got rid of the 2-hour so-called sprints a few years ago. Uh, so it would be a good idea if somebody made a new game like that because I'd like to get better graphics. The new steering wheels are so much better than the old ones. I mean, now they have force feedback and they have 270 degrees of rotation. Um, the one Logitech that came out when Initial D came out for PS2, you can actually spin it, you know, more than all the way around. Like, I can't remember exactly how much rotation you get out of it, but you can actually go like a real car. You know, my car's two turns lock to lock and that's actually considered quick but when you get into a video game controller it's you know less than one turn all the time um, which sort of makes the rally games and stuff kind of stupid and not really like driving on dirt fast it's probably somewhat accurate on formula one because you can't turn the wheel more than that on the real car anyway but it'd be well, cool here, i thought the show was about how great the dreamcast was it sounds like it sucked to me well the wheel sucked tell you, i had the best wheel they made for it and it wasn't very good and it made creaking noises every time you looked at it uh <laughs> okay another uh another aspect of uh unique hardwareness aside from eight memory cards and small enough to fit in your joystick and breaks a lot let's see uh a modem did you use it fire pro was based around it <laughs> fantasy star online was based around it i spent 200 hours on that modem fantasy star online <laughs> whoa and it didn't die that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I uh, never got the broadband adapter. Um, I know somebody who has one. Maybe they'd sell it to me for a reasonable price. But I never I never got it, and therefore um, don't have, like, any access to Internet content anymore. I mean, like, I can't email myself saves and shit because I have no way. I mean, I guess there are programs where you can put the saves on a CD now and load the saves from a CDR onto your memory card mm-hmm. I mean there must be yeah I'm actually come to think about it I already have one um, can't remember what it's called but it allows you to the main reason why I got it was for the VMU games because they have so many of those damn things have you this seen... relates to a, a question from a listener actually <laughs> it's, uh, Ian Adams at Game House via instant messenger he asks are there any decent VMU games decent uh, no. wait you know I think I found one um, no, you didn't. As for official ones, as for uh, official ones, I do think wasn't the, the one in um, Power Stone had good ones. Try to remember what was the RPG, the, the pirate Sky Pirate RPG. Skies of Arcadia. Skies of Arcadia. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good one. Mm, uh, I do recall that was pretty good. I remember using the VMU a lot because it it beeped and helped you find treasure. I always had the VMU and the Rumble Pack in there because. Uh, there was some slime or something that helped you find treasure. But as for playing the VMU game, I'm not 
man, I wonder if I ever played it. That'd be lame if I didn't play it. Oh, I think I didn't because I didn't have batteries in my thing. <laughs> or something. You gotta get batteries every three weeks. Two. It's, zero, uh, it's cute weeks. to think back that uh, there was sort of the implication in the marketing that uh, the VMU was a competitor to dedicated handheld systems. Yeah, to Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Neo Geo um, Pocket. <laughs> the, the best... The best VMU game I can think of that was released officially uh, was the shooter that came with Power Stone. That was one of the better ones for yeah. sure. Yeah, and then there was one that was only available on Sega of America's website that was technically impressive, but it was football, so I don't know if it was good or not. But it was a first-person football game. <laughs> And it was very impressive to look at. I mean, like you're running and the guys are running by you and everything. Uh, like a total like first-person format football game. Kind of like how you could do... You can do that with newer football games, polygon football games. It's impossible, but I mean, you know, it's a neat experience. You can do it with Soul Calibur, too, first-person fighting. Um, My favorite VMU game came preloaded on the All Japan Pro Wrestling Red VMS. and uh, I definitely don't have that. It depicted Giant Baba sitting in a hot tub, and uh, the Destroyer, a masked wrestler, was also sitting in a hot tub with him. <laughs> and I, it was sort of like Neo Poké-kun in that you pressed buttons randomly and things would happen in the hot tub. Oh, I thought it was like one of them was going to poop on Giant Baba's head. Well, that did happen, actually. Really? Okay, well, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, there is a full-motion video of Buffy the Vampire Slayer game. But it's not official, and I don't, oh. I don't remember exactly what you're supposed to do. And of course, on, it occupies. Yeah, yeah. Full motion video on the VMU. Yeah, and you can. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, of course. <laughs> wow. Uh, there's a couple full motion video things, but most of them are demos. I think you can control the Buffy one. I don't remember. There is a CD. You can probably pirate this fairly easily. That's it's, it's a program, the name of which escapes me, but it's a homebrew designed to like load VMU saves. So you can burn like every VMU game you can find on one CD and then go through and like shuffle. Because I usually end up taking a huge chunk of your memory card, the whole thing in the case of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and you can put them all on there and you can try them all out. It even has a, a VMU emulator in it so you can play the game on the Dreamcast. I think that ends up actually taking more time than to just play it off the memory card. Um, and usually that seems to come packed with a bunch of things you might want, like a uh, Japanese MVC2 save. Because if you have a, cop a Japanese copy of Marvel vs. Capcom 2, uh, you're going to be pissed. <laughs> because the way they designed unlocking stuff was they had three kinds of points so you had uh one player mode points and they had versus points and then they had arcade points so you were to take your memory card to the arcade stick it in a naomi box play your stuff and then you'd get points and come home and it would unlock stuff and uh that was rough because virtually no american mvc2 machines had memory cards lots on them so if you bought the machine what happened is someone cracked the save like two days after the game came out so you're probably going to want that save. Um, and that way you'd be able to get characters that you just couldn't get without it. Um, stuff like that. Uh, a Fire Pro, maxed Fire Pro save would be good, but I don't think that stuff's on there. So that means it's up to you, Substance J. Oh, no. To make that ISO. 
so that everyone can play a full copy of Fire Pro. I will. Uh, I'll let the one guy who's still cranking away on Fire Pro D. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't want to step on his toes with that one. Yeah, I wonder. And amazingly, that... that one guy is not me. I would think <laughs> otherwise. But... Well, there are some. There are some. Just to go off topic, it actually. What what wrestling games are you playing now? Are there any good ones now? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm playing Blazing <laughs> Tornado. Actually, have you ever played that? Fire Pro R, uh, which is now three years old. That's that's the one out there. Now, see, that's the reason why I think that they should have released uh, D in the U.S. on the Dreamcast is because that's when there was like the boom in the the scene, really. But it's it's dead now. Like it's dead in Japan, you mean? Oh, it's yeah, absolutely dead. So I think the uh, the Dreamcast hit right in the nice little bubble there, in a lot of different areas of uh, nerddom. I like the silence afterwards. That kind of highlights the point. Yep. Yeah, it's just kind of strange that uh, there are essentially no good wrestling games. It's not like wrestling stopped happening. People still do it. I guess it's just... Unfortunately, they do. I'm trying to find a wrestling game. Hang on, I'll be right back. Giant Graham. If you want to play one on the Dreamcast, Giant Graham. The name makes no sense. That's the one with the uh, Giant Baba hot tub uh, VMU game. Also, another fine Dreamcast game you'll find for $0.25, cents, uh, brand new, in uh, corner distributors would be uh, ECW Hardcore Revolution. Yes, I believe I had that one myself. Those were some rough days at the end of the lifespan there. Yeah, the, the Acclaim Wrestling games were really, really bad. Ian Adams at GameHouse asks, why did DC games turn black? What's the deal with that? I don't remember. He also, <laughs> I guess he means the uh, packaging. Oh, the packaging. Went from white to black. Or what, did they go to black in the, the Europe? No, they didn't. They were always light blue because we didn't have the orange. That's right. Uh, Spiral, it was turned light blue because some other company had the, had the Yeah, company. wasn't it like a, a baby bottle company or something? Could be. It yeah, was... they had the copy on the uh, orange spirals. Yeah, that's... We were stuck with the light blue spirals. And in fact, funnily, we mentioned the modem earlier. We were also stuck with 33.6K modems when... North yeah, America yeah, the Japanese modem, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's no difference. Yeah. I, I, I actually didn't notice any difference playing Fantasy Star. It was perfectly, perfectly workable. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Blazing Tornado, do you have that? It's awful. It's Saturn. Yeah, it's awful, but um, it's unique because it has like transparency effects and uh, and like modern shit in it. Like it's a is it is that say Gaiden? It does. Yeah. So that's a weird one. I got this one for free a while ago. Um, are these people actually a parodies of real wrestlers or are they original? I think they're all original. Yeah. But speaking of Gaidens, that's actually uh, one of my favorite games on the Dreamcast is Gundam, Side Story, Gaiden, uh, yeah. 0079, whatever it was called when it was released. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's good. It's tremendous. And 
just recently on the 360, they released the best choke Kusoge in a decade, <laughs> Gundam Operation Troy. Oh, is it that bad? It's so bad that it's actually, the graphics are worse than the Dreamcast game. The control is less advanced and precise. Uh, it's just infinitely more clunky. It's funny because it looked really good. You'd think you're playing a Saturn game compared to the Dreamcast edition, but uh, it's, it's incredible. Well, the thing is, I played the Saturn games. <laughs> There's uh, three of them, Side Story. Mm-hmm. They came out as like budget games uh, in cardboard digipacks. Mm-hmm. And they're based, That's I think they have the Blue Destiny in them. They're based on the Blue Destiny manga, I think. Whereas the Dreamcast one is based on the... Uh, MS the eighth team. It kind of looks like that. It has RGM seventy nine G's in it or whatever, and it's uh, that's good. And I think the Saturn one's pretty good too. But the Saturn one, if you the first one, not the first one, but there the second one worked with the Virtual On Twin Stick, and the uh, third one did too. I don't know if the Dreamcast one works with the Twin Stick. I don't think it does. Were there ever Twin Sticks released for the DC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there were. Yeah, and uh, from what I've heard, um, personally, I prefer the Saturn ones because they feel more durable. Is that why everybody looks for adapters, uh, Saturn, well, Dreamcast? Well, that because the Dream the Saturn ones are, I mean, basically free. I mean, they'll cost you mm-hmm. forty five bucks to ship from Japan, but they'll be like five dollars, which is why I have two sets. <laughs> They're just not worth anything. <laughs> uh, and you do, you do. People tend to work. They look for adapters that specifically work with Twin Stick, because if you don't have the right and Dreamcast adapter, it won't necessarily work. Um, but the thing with Gundam is these robots aren't like Armored Core level of complexity. They usually have a beam gun, a Vulcan in the head, and a sword. So they're simple enough where the Twin Sticks actually translate well to Gundam. Whereas with Armored Core, you'd want something like a uh, Steel Battalion controller kind of a thing because there's just so many weapons on the thing. Um, yeah, we uh, one of the, the the best things I've ever done with a Dreamcast is use two twin sticks and two VGA monitors and a Dragoncast link cable because I can't find the official one and uh, play two-player virtual on Oratorio Tangram with that. And that's the kind of thing, like, I, I mean, I've always been sort of an arcade-oriented person. And I, I fully believe you can make or break a game with a controller. Now, Virtual On is good enough where it's more like you need the controller. It's not it's not that you're making or breaking with the controller. It's that it doesn't work without the proper controller. Um, one of the first games I played on Dreamcast was Virtual On because it came out relatively early in Japan. And somebody I knew, I bought it, and I looked at it, and I said... That looks just like the arcade screenshots because <laughs> I've never seen the machine. It's too hard to find. Uh, but you cannot play it. It is fucking unplayable and with a standard controller. It just cannot be played. And people, you know, you can come up with these little methods of sort of playing it, you know. Oh, I managed to shoot the guy, you know. But has anyone ever beat Virtual On with a stock pad? I don't even think it's possible. The, the Saturn one you could, but I don't even know if you can. I mean, that, because Sega decided not to release that game in the U.S. They gave it to Activision, who did their 
job of taking things out of it and then uh, never release the controller. And I'm told that there are two versions of the Dreamcast twin stick and they're impossible to tell apart by looking at them. But one breaks instantly and the other one doesn't. <laughs> so that's another reason to avoid those, I would think. You know, if you can't really tell the difference, you're kind of taking a risk, especially on eBay. Uh, well, uh, seeing as how we have a man who speaks Scots, it seems only fitting that uh, someone discuss LOL oh. or lack of. Yeah, but has anyone here played it but me? No. I have actually not played Lack of Love despite uh, <laughs> despite um, the ethnic uh, association. Yeah, the, you know the fact that I clearly should have by now. Uh, no, I, I thought... still believe that you're that guy who posted that YouTube video. <laughs> it's not a YouTube video. It's from Pennsylvania. Oh, is it really? Yeah, no, it's um, uh, I can't remember his actual name. Fat Rab is what I'll call him. Fat Rab recorded that. One of the hosts of. Uh, Faintly famous Scottish video game show, Pennsylvania. It's a oh. great review. It did make me want to play it, but I haven't bought it, so I don't have it. Well, good luck buying it, but um, I did pirate it and haven't played it yet. Well, there we go. No oh. one has played it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I pirated it. I stuck it on a stack of, of CDs to get it off my machine because it's kind of big. And I haven't actually, now that I have the Dreamcast hooked up again, I haven't found the freaking CD. I actually want to play it less than I want to play um, Moon, the Remix RPG Adventure. If you, if anyone's heard of that one. Uh, of what? Moon by by Love Delic as well. That's because Lack of Love is by by Love Delic. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also they did one uh, earlier um, called Moon, the Remix RPG Adventure, which is um, like an RPG. You start playing it. It's as if you're playing a an old school uh, kind of Final Fantasy Dragon Quest type of RPG. And as you go through the game, you, you you know, you kill the baddies and steal everyone's money, you know, from their houses. But then you get sucked into the game and it's revealed that, uh, you know, you're, the person you're playing is essentially an insane sociopath and you have to fix everything you did wrong. Whoa. So I've always wanted to play that one. That's, I never have. That's deep. Fuck. Well, it was deep in 1997 or whatever when it came out. Well, it's deep now because it's in Japanese. That's it's too true. deep for me. <laughs> That's the sort of thing I'd play the whole thing, not realizing I was a psychopath, unless they had, uh, you know, really dark, obvious moments, Eternal Darkness, D's Diner type of stuff. Um, hey, that's another game I've never. Does anybody have Enemy Zero? Not Enemy Zero, D two. D two. I was I was over Kenji Eno by that point. Oh, that guy's awesome. I think he's still alive, isn't he? I would buy a D two if he delivered it to my house. Uh, it was Enemy Zero that yeah, you delivered. Enemy Zero Special Edition. Yeah, en- Enemy Zero Special Edition was delivered to your house. And what did that cost? Like two thousand bucks or something. It was well, like, man's got to eat. It's pretty. It's pretty obvious. That's that's uh, that's a, called a capital investment. <laughs> when you give a company two thousand dollars for a game, uh, you're way beyond Neo Geo at that point. You're pumping the company alive. You know it's. <laughs> It, it it was I've never seen a picture of it, but it it came with a replica of the laser pistol, and a special box, and uh, I guess you know Japan's not that big, so he could he could deliver it to you within reason, you know. But if you were in like in like uh, Peru, he'd probably have to double the price. That's that's awesome, man. 
that's bold strokes there. I think I think more people should be like that. <laughs> is he still around? Like uh, at all? Warp is no longer around. Uh, I read something about him. Let's see what Kenji Eno's Wikipedia says. Let's all go to Wikipedia. Let's all go there. Um, it says he was born in 1970, so he's a little younger than I thought he was. Um, where are they now? That's one. Of, that's the third link on Google. Um, oh yeah, Real Sound. Never played that. Um. Childhood and early years. This is like an Eric Clapton entry. Uh, <laughs> recent activity from yellow to orange. He founded in two thousand one. Oh, what do you wow. know? He's making a Wii game. What do you know? It's not surprising. I, uh, but will it actually come out on Nintendo's next machine? That's the question. Yeah, I recall V two was heavily hyped, like as one of the big titles. Yeah, um, I never quite I, panned out. I'm thinking I own that, but I haven't played it yet. I have Enemy Zero, and haven't played that yet either. <laughs> the only one I played was D1, and I and I played it on 3DO, the the proper way to play it. <laughs> wow! When it when it came out for uh, PlayStation, they like added, you know, another four seconds of scenes or whatever. Is that the most inefficient video compression codec ever, or what? Because the whole game is like freaking ten minutes of video, and it's three CDs or something. It's, it doesn't even fit on one CD. It says, uh, alongside Kenichi Nishi, Kenji Ino helped develop Newtonica, a game for the iPhone and iPod Touch. Uh, and in September 08 issue of EGM, Ino, he's in this month's EGM. We're talking like he's a dead relic. It's actually EGM that's the dead relic. Uh, st- started an interview. He's got a lot of dead relics on this program. <laughs> yeah, dead relic. Uh, he will be working on a game that is either revealed in the next issue or the next issue of EGM. What? <laughs> or it will be... Dated this... 2001, I believe. Yeah, next issue, of course, being the operative term. Uh, yeah, what the hell is Oyaji Hunter Mahjong? <laughs> that's a, that's an early 3DO game. Uh, Tripped? He worked on Tripped? Is that correct? Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we're we're obviously on to uh, crazy ground, and it's probably time to break this off. Uh, for some reason, we didn't mention anything like Soul Calibur or any of those games that people actually. What did what did mainstream people actually play on Dreamcast? Soul Calibur, Crazy Taxi. Oh, Crazy Taxi. Yeah. And Two uh, K. Tremendous yeah, game, incidentally. The NHL and NFL games. Yeah. Yeah, I mainly played the fighting games. Uh, huge, huge on those things. Uh, Actually, I mean, I'll be honest, and I'll say that uh, Soul Calibur did help sell the system to me because I was, I did once watch uh, one of the attract modes in it, and was just kind of act like the only time oh, I can yeah. end my memory being blown away by the graphics. I remember being blown away uh, by the Dead or Alive two. Uh, like eye catch scenes because they had a higher specification engine that ran just during the talkie talk bits. So like you'd be fighting and it wasn't it was great looking, but when it would move into the things where like you know the one chick pushes the other one off the ice 
Berg or whatever, uh, like it would look extra good during that time and kind of even better than Shenmue because it had color. Shenmue is pretty brown. Shenmue is pretty brown. I will, you know, I was thinking today, I was watching the, uh, the attracts in Shenmue 1 and there's that thing where Shen Hua like gives you this poem and it's really cheesy. I was thinking like she does not show up until the last disc of Shenmue 2. And there she is right on the cover of the game. And you don't even you don't even know. I mean, that's the uh, Shenmue 2 is the biggest fucking bummer. They ought to release just make it as a visual novel for DS or something just to explain to you what happens after that. Because it's all build up. They thought they were going to make seven of them or five of them or something and they made two and it really just kind of starts getting going and you finally meet the girl on the cover on the seventh cd of the seven cd series <laughs> and then they never made another one i think that's the thing because that has been seven more games that i would have played for about five minutes and then i <laughs> missed an appointment that i had in the because i was busy at the arcade or well, they probably would have. They probably would have hammered out all the annoying shit. How's I wonder how that is in Yakuza? How annoying is it? No, it, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about about timing there. It's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it's just. I mean, I can't actually remember for some reason, but I'm pretty sure that it's just uh, when you go to an appointment, it happens. You know. Oh, okay. Well, Shenmue Two was only about one fifth as annoying as Shenmue One. Uh, so. It would, you know, stand to reason that Shenmue Three would be even less annoying than Shenmue Two, because when you get someplace yeah, six hours early, to a, uh, I was treated to a sample of Shenmue uh, Two by someone who had fortitude to make it far, and it really was incredible. Well, yeah, I sh- wish I could play it. <laughs> Shenmue Two, like you walk up to a place if you're six hours early, you just say, "Do you want to go six hours in the future?" And the time goes, and then you're just there. Which, honestly, I don't know. Is that good or bad? I guess it's good. But you don't want it to make it too straightforward, because then it would just be uh, too straightforward. Who's who's attacking the microphone? I don't know, but people Sorry. listening to podcasts, they're, they're not too concerned about them. They've already spent I'm an hour and 45 minutes. I'm wondering if drugs are the answer for Shenmue. Like a barbiturate, perhaps? Something to just make you not pissed off <laughs> when you're playing the game <laughs> because it's so uh like I can't believe I missed that fucking appointment. You know if they were to make Shenmue 1 again for like some other machine, they would obviously have all the Shenmue 2 stuff integrated into it. That's your time. That's your time to spring. When it gets re- when Shenmue 1 and 2 which cost like 100 million dollars to make get released as a as a 200.360 arcade game, just buy it. It'll be all fixed. <laughs> well, they did rumor for a while it was going to be, or some maybe a Swedish magazine or something rumored it was going to come to Wii, but uh, yeah, that was pretty much just a rumor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those kinds of rumors. You know, I I once found a CD in a record store that was released by Sega somewhere in Europe, possibly. Possibly Sweden. I'm not sure. I can't remember what language it was in. But it promoted the Sega Saturn. And in it, they had the VCD player. So in some European market, the VCD player was actually released. Which is crazy. 
Did anybody buy VCDs in Europe? I don't think so. Did anyone no, actually? No, I know. No, yeah. I know. Did anyone buy legit VCDs anywhere? I'm not sure. <laughs> Those CDI people, they have Forrest Gump. Yeah, there was a very brief period where the CDI and stuff was out and they were selling VCDs. But I, I mean, I think that was maybe about a week in 1996. Uh, I think it was like 94, 95. But yeah, they and were... right now there are three guys recording a podcast about it. <laughs> yes. Hey, someone needs to support these people and their passions. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I think we're going to be done for this one. <laughs> uh, we've... Uh, talked about the uh, alternative angle of the Dreamcast, how great it was instead of how unfair it was that I got screwed or any of that other shit that everybody talks about. Because you need to have articles and podcasts and whatever that are actually done by people who have actually played the fucking thing. Although we did talk about a lot of games that we hadn't played. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Anything that you... Okay, as we part, any game you haven't played that you want to recommend? (laughs) Uh, Yes, actually, I have one right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, SNK, or rather Capcom versus SNK2, which I pre-ordered. Well, let me get to it. I pre-ordered it from NCS. Yeah, so did I. And then they blew up the the trade center. I had to wait two weeks to get the game. I let the test win because I canceled my (laughs) NCS pre-order thinking I could get it from a store outside of New York quicker. Yeah. That never panned out. And (laughs) Fairness won. So So you ended up pirating it like everybody else. Uh, actually, I'm going to buy it on PS2 in a compilation. Well, I, I found... Okay, this happened to me, too. I pre-ordered it, and that was the same week the GameCube came out. And it might have been the same day. I don't remember. But the uh, the game came out, and they blew up their Trade Center, and it took a long time. The game was late, a week or so, a week or two late. And in the meantime, everybody had pirated it. So I was the only person who didn't have the game, and I was the only one that bought it. How's that for fair? <laughs> but my music doesn't glitch. You know, everyone's pirate copy. When you get to the, uh, after you win, and it's playing that one song, it'll go like, skip on this one part, because the uh, the data's farther apart on a CD than it is on a GD. So it uh, loops that audio for a couple of samples until it finds it again. So I don't have to deal with that bullshit. <laughs> and you didn't let the terrorists win. There you go. No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, so let's see. What 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 about you, Matthew? What do you have that you want? What do you don't have that you want to recommend? Oh, actually, I actually have a game that I I do have that I want to recommend. The Yusuzuki Gameworks has the I think it's the only uh, accurate home version of uh, Power Drift, and I've played that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's really good. You know that's valuable now. Is it? I've I didn't seen know that. that thing go for a couple hundred now. Really? Yeah, it was like eighty bucks, right? It's a book. It comes with a disc, right? Is that yeah, it comes with a disc. About? It comes with a disc with all the same space header, hang on, outrun, everything mm-hmm. that everybody already has. Yeah. But it also has power drift. That is pretty cool because the Genesis version does not cut it. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no home version that cuts other than the, the version of Dreamcast. So there you go. Dreamcast is the only way you can play power drift. It's the only way you can play a System 16 game that was released in 1990. <laughs> uh, power drift's the one where you have Sonic the Hedgehog hanging from your rearview mirror. No, that's, um, was it Night Driver or something? I can't remember what the exact one's called. No, that's Night Driver is a black and white game with no graphics uh, except for sticks. Uh, I don't know, but it's not Power Power Drift's the one where you um, you have like the list of all the other people where you're, you're racing against the top of your screen. 
and uh, it's quite kind of crazy uh, scaling graphics. Yeah, and, the roads uh, are made out of logs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think Four I'm thinking crazy foreigners. Yeah. Okay, and the game that I will recommend is the as yet unreleased U.S. translation of Say Ga Ga Ga, because everything I've seen about that game, which I own, because I think I bought it from you, <laughs> uh, Matthew Kumar. Yeah, you. I think I yeah. think I did. I think I did sell it to you. Yeah. Um, and it's basically an RPG where you run Sega. And the crazy thing about it is it came out after the Dreamcast was canceled. So it is really like the ultimate Sega fans game. And and you play, um, you, you run Sega, which is a much more impressive and dominating and sort of Super Sentai sort of company in the game than it is in real life. And you're trying to make the next machine or whatever. And it's an RPG. It has battles in it. Like you're running around through Sega's basement fighting monsters and shit. Um, it's getting translated. Progress is slow, but every six months or so, someone posts that they're still working on it. And someday it'll finally come out. So that's my recommendation. Um, until then, I guess we are out of here. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. I can't wait to run Sega into the ground in English. Yeah, I've been running them into the ground in Japanese. You can lose that game quick. It has some sort of oh, it has the uh, the un- it has that like that Elsa version of Thunder Force Six. You know that? I have no idea. Yeah, if you uh, it's totally amazing. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, you have to do something. You just put the game. Uh, I really need to learn more about that game because it seems kind of uh, really dark and obscure. It is kind of dark. Unfortunately, it also reminds me a little bit. I don't like this. computer but i find it's addictive like all i do is sit there and, and play them oh yeah i'll be out there for about you know i'm three hours three three hours i gotta play and you know i, I uh i end up canceling meetings and stuff <laughs> it's kind of bad it's kind of bad how do you explain that to, I, I have to kill this guy i'm sorry i'm yeah. I'm, at, I'm at level eight and i'm I have like, to i only get got 30 it. kills man call me back damn it <laughs>
They have it now. You can get on, on the internet. You can go and fight other guys on the internet. Yeah, you that's can get cool. on your game thing. Yeah, you know, you can get, you know, the little kitty porn guys and kill their ass. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have that game. I, uh... <laughs>
I fix. I just fabricate things completely uh, in post with the uh, Mac, uh, Mike, uh, Mac uh, speech uh, accessibility synthesizer person. Yeah, add fake facts later on. Um, okay, so I'm gonna let's see. I'm gonna come up with some utterly contrived way to introduce this as the beginning of the thing. I don't normally do that, so. Um, I'll try. Before you get to that, I'll just comment that I have uh, Pop Smear on the line, as it were, and uh, he may have some comments throughout the course of the show. Oh, that would be (laughs) totally raw. Okay. Oh, it it would. Let's do that. I kind of like that idea. This this would be like another Gaiden, so the more fucked up it is, the better that would distinguish it from regular episodes. Okay, oh, here's something. I want to not talk about the, the the reasons the machine failed. And I would almost sort of prefer to not talk about how much Sega sucks now. Um, and how they haven't made a good game since I don't even know. They've made some playable Yakuza. games. What are you talking about? Yakuza, the Yakuza games are good. Yeah, there's Yakuza... There is, to a much lesser extent, the initial D arcade games, which are flawed. But if you if you jam on them for like hours and hours, they become really fun. <laughs> uh, even though they don't seem to remember how to make an engine noise, you know, something I thought was perfected years ago. Yeah, Yakuza uh, bought it. Haven't played it. I'm gonna pretend. <laughs> I'm gonna pretend it doesn't exist. Cause it says well, you're gonna pretend Yakuza doesn't exist, but it's a spiritual successor to um, Shenmue. Shenmue, of course. Yeah, it is. And I, I, you know, expect me to be goozing all over, uh, over uh, Yakuza in time because uh, I have the first one. I will buy the second one. I'll, I'll, I'll be eventually getting a PS3 or is it a PS3 for the third one? Yeah, it's PS3. yeah, yeah. So, so does Yakuza require you to like? Make painstaking searches for mysterious black cars, and I fucking hope so. Uh, it doesn't exactly, <laughs> but it does involve a lot of kind of wandering about and eating ramen and things like that. Kind of <laughs> nothing particularly important to the story. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's the important part. Nothing important. You know, you should have like uh, one of those crazy, um, like nineteen seventy-two. Mazda Cosmo Bosuzoku cars with the freaking pipes sticking five feet up in the air and the huge wheels. Yeah, and with the tires that are all canted out. And yeah, you got to be able to uh, to uh, build one of those in your garage while you're doing all your important shit. <laughs> kind of like your capsule toy collection in Shenmue. 